0: Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? You feeling good? Good. My name is Matt Moberg. I'm the director of The Table, which is uh, CPC Sunday Night Worship Expression. It's a really fun community if you ever wanted to come and partake in it with us. We'd love to have you. 5 p.m. Sunday. You're going to want to write that down. Go ahead. I'll give you a moment. Uh, Let me pray real quick as we go into the message for this morning. Jesus, you are good and you are here. We believe that. We trust that. And so, Lord, we ask that uh, you speak, Lord. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be pleasing, acceptable, glorifying to you, Lord. In Christ's name, all God's children said, amen. want to start with the story. Uh, it's a story I heard a while ago. I told this story actually at the table a few weeks ago, but since none of y'all came, I feel like I have license to do so again. Um, story about a pastor. She's at home one night. It's a Saturday evening, and she's just having cozy alone time trying to refresh. She's got a book open by a fire. She's got a nice glass of wine poured. Uh, she's just having some me time, if you will. Well, all, uh, in the middle of said me time, she hears somebody banging on her door. And so she gets up and she goes to the door and at the door is a bigger man who is uh, panting. He's breathing heavily. His hands are on his knees and he's just a hot mess. And finally, he looks up at her and she can see that there are tears coming down from his eyes. And she's like, what is going on right now? So she says, can I help you, sir? Is there something I can do for you. The man, trying to catch his breath, trying to regain composure, says, I need your help, Pastor. Uh, there's, there's a family I know. It's, um, they need your help, really. You see, they're about to be kicked out of their house. If they don't come up with the cash for rent by 8 30 tomorrow morning the landlord is going to kick them out and the dad he's been trying to find work for months now uh, but he's not having any luck the mom uh, she's at home usually taking care of the kids so she's got her hands tied and on top of that the mother-in-law is living there too and so it's a full house and it's the middle of winter and pastor if we don't come up with the cash they're about to be kicked out onto the streets Tears falling, and the pastor uh looks at him and says, Of course, we we will do something. We have to do something. Let me um let me place a few phone calls. Let me look at some budget numbers, and uh uh we'll take care of this. Don't worry about it. And you could see the weight just falling off this man in that moment, and he says, Thank you. You don't know what this means. The pastor looks at him and he goes, She goes, uh how do you know this family? Like, what's your connection to them? And he goes, me? Well, I'm their landlord. (laughs) So, there's often A gap between what we profess and what we practice. As human beings, we speak two very different languages into the world. We speak that which we believe and that which uh, the ways that we believe, the how we believe. And when the two are not congruent with one another, when they don't speak of the same story, when the landlord says, help, I'm about to kick these people out and there's nothing I can do about it, could you help? That's a problem. It's kind of like the old story of the king who comes home one night and there's a beggar at his gates and he says to his men, get this man out of here. I am way too compassionate to look upon such heartbreaking things. There's a disconnect there. Let me drive the point home even further. It's kind of like a few years back, uh, the city of Minneapolis uh, came out loud and proud saying we are going to shut down sex trafficking in this city. And yet this April they opened a mega strip club, three stories high on Hennepin Avenue. Absolutely contradicting the idea that you were trying to shut it down. One more example. I'll make it more personal. The other day, I was at Turtle Bread in Linden Hills. It's my favorite breakfast spot, if anybody ever wanted to take me there. You could. I'll give you my information after. But I was there with my son, and uh, I looked across the room, and there was a man with his three kids, and he was on his phone the whole time. And there I was like, "You, you're a piece of work, man. I was so fired up, I got on my phone and started tweeting about it. And I was like, parents, we need to be present with our kids. All the while, my kids like throwing potatoes at my face and saying, dad, please, please look at me. There's often a gap between uh, what we profess and what we practice. The New Testament tells us over and over again that we are the body of Christ. That means that what people see in not just what we practice and not just what we profess, the whole, the whole piece of it together, that is the story of Jesus that they are receiving. Bob Goff the other day, he said, it's one thing to tell uh, groups of people that they are welcome at your church. It's another thing to actually welcome them when they come. Does our faith language as a body here at Christ Presbyterian Church, are we practicing and professing the story of Jesus that we want to put out there? Because everything falls apart when one goes one way and the other goes the other. There's a prophet that we're looking at tonight. His name is Amos. Amos or Amos. Is there a verdict on that? Because I've been going Amos the whole week. Everybody raise your hand if it's Amos. Wow, so I've been in the phone. One person, thank you. Oh, gosh. Amos? Yeah, okay. So, my fault. Give me time. I'll figure it out. Amos came about in the 8th century. Uh, He rose in prophetic power uh, uh, during Israel's Silver Age, which meant for them that they were kind of at the peak of all their power. Uh, they were at the pinnacle of their territorial expansion. They were accumulating more and more. They were wealthy. Things were going well at this time. And church, religion, uh, religion was, was buzzing. I mean, people were coming from near and far to uh, be part of these worship services. It was kind of like the days of Billy Graham or, or Oral Roberts, where you just have these tent revivals in Bethel, and people would come and they would just fill the place out. And they do sacrifices and songs and, uh, you know, they turn to your neighbor and say hello, all those kind of things that, that we religious folks, we like. Uh, but Amos went there and he saw what they professed, but then he saw what they practiced. And while they professed that God's favor was upon them, that is why they were growing rich and that's why they were happy. But the reality of what their practice was is they were exploiting the poor. They were neglecting the needy. They were taking from those who had nothing. So God, he grabs this farmer named Amos, and he says, I need you to go over there and shut that down. Because those people, they want to go to a worship service, but they don't want to go to church. Because church starts after the service. Church is a lifestyle. Worship service has a beginning and an end, and it focuses on what we profess. It focuses on what we believe, but not really how we believe. And so Amos takes the words of God and he brings this message to the people. This is God's words. I hate, I despise your religious festivals, your assemblies are stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never failing stream. Can you hear Dr. King's voice in that right there? I have uh, a good amount of friends who are atheists. Or agnostics, or some of them just don't really know what they are. But they often use verses like this and they say, See, Matt, you have lost your mind. Even God doesn't like you working at a church. Church is a dirty business. He doesn't like your music. He doesn't like your religious festivals. I'm like, thanks for the pick me up. Guys, appreciate the support on that one. What God is saying here, though, is not an indictment on the church, He is longing for the church. He is not calling the people to leave the church. He's calling the people to be the church. It's the same thing you see when Jesus, he goes in the temple and he flips over tables. It's not because he hates the church. It's because he's looking for the church. Where is it? This is not what it's supposed to be about. You've turned this into something that is, you've forgotten the weightier matters of the law you focused on things like grain offerings, making sure that we hit all of our notes when we're singing the songs, but you forgot about things like justice, mercy, compassion. You focused on what we pra- off, prof- profess, there was. But you've forgotten that we are called to practice these things. Because faith is not just about what we profess, it's about how we practice. And this is the problem when church becomes a worship service and not a lifestyle. Because when it becomes a worship service, then that requires a worship place. And to have a place where we gather, that means there is a time attached to that. Which means that there is a here. And if you have a here, that means there is also a there. And that is the language of separation right there. Because then all of a sudden you have those who are in and you have people who are out. You have us versus them, me versus you. And all along, since the prophets first began to speak, as Christ perfectly revealed God on the cross, the people who claim to gather and follow Jesus, we are very involved in the world. We don't, we don't buy into the language of separation, we don't believe it. But the moment when we start saying that our faith culminates is all about the here, all of those who are out there have to pay the price for that. And there are a lot of those out there. And so uh, Amos, he is telling them to get over it. Let go of your here and look out there. Do you see the poor whose backs you are breaking? Those are your brothers. Do you see uh, the minorities? Whose stereotypes you are perpetuating, those are your sisters. Do you see the single dad who cannot get hired, the single mom who has grown so tired, those are your parents. In the family of God, there is no here, there is no there, there is no separation. In fact, we are called to be those who are uh, agents of reconciliation. People who are closing the gaps to the separation and shutting it down and saying, I am for you, I am with you, I will walk with you, beyond just my words, to show you that that is so. 1 John four twenty, it says, whoever claims to love God and yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God. Whom they have not seen. That's a really tough, tough verse for me. Because I don't like people very much. Love God. The problem with people is uh, people are angsty. People are loud. People are dramatic. People can be Packer fans. I mean, people can be a lot of terrible things. But God, he is often quiet. He's more hidden. He's a lot more accommodating to my life. People are just, they're always right there. There. In my space, and yet, what the text says, and what the text, the word behind the text, has always been saying through the prophets, uh, is that you cannot say you love God and be taken seriously if you do not love humanity, if you do not love your brothers and your sisters if my personal relationship with Jesus Christ does not lead into a public relationship with the world, then I am a liar. I'm all talk, but please don't take me too seriously. So we ask, then, how do we actually live lives if God is only desiring uh, that his people are gathering for the sake of formation so that we would come together on Sunday mornings or Saturday nights, or when you all start coming on Sunday nights to the table, um, we would find that that time is a time of formation. We're being called together to come together so then we can go out. This is not the end all be y'all. This is the halftime of the football game where we review the plays that we are called to make. We get the pep talks from John Crosby. We get these moments where we are reminded that it is not just about being fed. We are called to feed. We're called to be agents of reconciliation who shut down the gaps that stand between us and them, you and me, here and there. And so, how do we how do we do that? I think we um, we have to always, as Paul talks about, everything we do, the way that we think, the way that we live, the stories that we embody—they are all to be replicas of how Jesus lived. Which is a lofty goal and, and unattainable by us. We're not going to be Jesus. Let's let that dream die. But he sets forth a pattern that is is very much a a reality for us today. And what we see in Jesus, unlike in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, uh, how you see God, God is basically unapproachable. God is in the holy of holies, he's tucked away, he's visited only by the select few on very select days. Or God was completely removed, like in Ezekiel 10, when the sin just got too much that God could not stomach it anymore. But in the New Testament, as followers of Christ, we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate the incarnation. Some of my favorite words in all of Scripture, John one fourteen, the word it became flesh and it made his dwelling among us. If our question is how do we live lives of justice that God desires, then the incarnation is the answer. Because the word that becomes flesh is the marriage of our professions. It's taking what we believe, God's beliefs, and putting skin on it. The profession and the practice become one. And it moves into the neighborhood, as Eugene Peterson says. Whereas in the Old Testament you see a lot of uh, the prophets and the tablets of the law, they're kind of like... um, They're kind of like military supply planes flying over refugee camps and dropping down aid and saying, here you go, I hope this helps. This is the story of God becoming the divine stranger and creeping into humanity quietly. For the first 30 years, Jesus says nothing of significant note, hardly makes himself noticed, but he watches what it is like to actually be human. He empathizes with the human condition. Not from a place disconnected, not from far away, but as one who walks with us, who knows what it's like. There is a power in withness. I don't know if you guys have experienced that. When somebody, you may have been in a dark place or even at a high point, but when somebody says, uh, they don't come up to you and say, here's what you need to do, but they say, I am with you. I will walk with you. An amazing story that I, I think about that is, is the story of Ruth and Naomi. That, we'll stop there. You guys, you, go home and read that one. If you want to know about witness, for the sake of time, that's one you need to take in because that is the story of Ruth. I've, I was going to stop there. I'm not going to stop there real quick. Hold on. The story of Ruth is when Naomi, and they're about to go separate ways, and she says, I will never leave you. Where you go, I will go. Where you serve, I will serve. I am for you. I'm not going to fix you. I'm going to be with you. If you want to be a witness for Christ, then witness is the way, because the story of Jesus Christ, one of the core principles that takes uh, superiority over all the principles, is the incarnation, is that there is no longer a here, there is no longer a there. We are called to move into the neighborhood, be with people. Not just talk about people, but talk with people and to people. Because true love is always involved. True love cannot happen from a distance. can't happen if there's gaps at play. True love always gets close. That is what Jesus does. And so to love the other, we have to live the other. We have to live the experiences of the other, the realities, the patterns, the cycles. One of the core truths about the gospel in our formation is that we are, we are being formed when we gather before the word of God as we are being formed into people who are more empathetic. So before we throw stones at people, we love him like Jesus loved us. And how did Jesus love us? He entered into our reality. He tried to understand what was happening. What are the stories that are going on right now? Justice is not born out of isolation, justice is born out of incarnation. And so, when you all think about uh, the things that you believe, the words that you might profess, what words in your life personally? What words need to become flesh? What professions are being divorced from practice that need to be resurrected? Where is their death in need of life? How do we replicate the incarnation? One of the hardest parts about that First John text when it says that we cannot love God if we hate our brothers and sisters is beyond having a struggle with humanity in general. It's hard being cl- uh, for people who are very close to us. I mean, it is much easier to reach out to people who are out of reach. Great example of this is, uh, uh, I have a compassion child. My wife and I do, but I'll take the credit for it. His name is Edgar. Uh, Edgar lives in Nicaragua. Uh, Edgar is in, uh, uh, an average student. He's got a dad that's alive, but he's not really around. Edgar is a great soccer player, or so he tells me in his letters, um, Edgar is doing, he's got a lot going on. I could tell you much, much more about Edgar, but if you were to ask me the name of the five-year-old across the street from where I live, I have no idea. And that is a gap between what I profess and what I practice. I think when we're talking about things like justice, mercy, compassion, we get, uh, there's a trap of idealism that can happen with those abstract terms. I think Jesus does the brilliant thing when he completely beats that trap and says, love your neighbor. Yes, that person right there. Do you know your neighbor's name? Do you know what makes them excited? Not to fix them, but to know them. To live incarnation is to be where we are, embedded where we are, equipped with the awareness that Christ is moving in all places. Are we participating in that, though? There is no here and there is no there in the story of Jesus Christ. One of the things um, I was talking to my dad about this the other day, And I was thinking back on high school, I used to be, I'm not a moron anymore, but I used to be a real moron, like in a very bad way. And uh, one of the things I told my dad was, uh, you know what, pops, I, I wasn't great in general, but you were always for me. You were always with me, and you always walked with me no matter what. And I stayed close to the story of God. I stayed close to our family uh, because I knew you were with me. I knew you were for me. Uh, I wasn't going to close this way, but I'm going to. Uh, Right now, I'm physically here, emotionally, psychologically. I'm I'm not fully. My wife is in the hospital right now. I'll be going back down there in a minute after the the two services this morning. Uh, We got some pregnancy complications. It's been that the whole time. But as I think about the power of being with people, this is our second lengthy stint in the hospital. We'll probably be there for the next few months. Uh, When we have spoken that out loud in this community, we have had um, people come in. And uh, people live the incarnation right before our eyes. First time I said it, it was at the table a few months back for our first trip to uh, uh, the hospital. And immediately following the service, I had uh, Katie Kirk. I don't know if you guys know Kate Kirk. Amazing woman. Uh, She grabbed a loaf of bread. She grabbed some juice. We do the Eucharist every week at the table. And she goes, can I bring communion down to your wife at the hospital? She's never seen Lauren. She doesn't know Lauren. We had a holy moment there in in that hospital room that night. Last week when we uh, uh, realized we were going back to the hospital, uh, we found out from the doctor we had to go within a half hour, Maddie Wood and Kathy Wood were at our house. For the next three hours, middle of the night, just because Wyatt was sleeping there. And you know what that does for me, for my wife, for my family? Nobody is trying to fix us. Nobody is coming in with platitudes saying, uh, this will get you further. This is how we get through this. They're coming in, they're saying, this is hard, but we're with you. God's still good. We're going to walk with you until the story fully wraps up. If we want justice, if we want redemption, if we want healing in the world, we have to be in the world. In the final prayer of Jesus uh, with his disciples, he, he tells God very specifically, it's a beautiful moment, He's saying, God, be with these guys that uh, I have groomed, that I have formed, that I have called to carry on my story into the world. Be with them. But let me be clear, God, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. That's, that's not what I want. I want them here. They are in the business of telling my story by living my story, by taking what we profess and what we practice and making them one. Church, I hope, um, I hope you know that when this church started many years ago, when the shovels were first put in the ground, I hope you know that John Crosby, he has been leading this now for 25 years. Right, Jody? 25 years? 25 years. John did not take up this position because he woke up one day and said, I have a really masculine voice and I have great thoughts and I hope, what, what job could I do to get people to listen to me? John did not take up the job for that reason. John did not take up this pastoral position uh, because he thought, man, if people could just know a little bit more about religion, we might be able to fix this thing. John believes in the power of what it looks like when people love like Christ loved. The whole reason we are a community gathering on Sunday mornings, Sunday afternoons, Saturday nights, Sunday nights, is that we can be formed into a people who love in here, in here, And out there, just as Jesus loved us. That is the whole reason we exist, not just to be fed, but to feed those around us. Pray with me. Jesus, you are. You're good, God. And uh, we love you. We say that, Lord. Help us to love our brothers and sisters, Lord, so we actually really love you, God. We can embody what we profess uh, with the ways that we practice. God, be in this space. Bring to mind, Lord, uh, the words that you want us to bring into the flesh, the professions that we make, Lord, that we need to put into practice. Help us to know our neighbors. Help us to learn the power of what it means to be with people. The way that you came and were with us. And are with us still. In Christ's name, all of God's children, we all say, amen. Amen.